This podcast was recorded earlier in the year before COVID-19 changed the way we practice real estate around the world for a limited period of time. This content is brought to you in part by Supreme Auctions, the only luxury auction company recommended by the Institute. Supreme Auctions is widely recognized as the first auction company to design a program to work alongside and in partnership with luxury real estate professionals and their clients. Go to supremeauctions.com to learn more. Hi, Debbie. How are you? I'm great. Good to be here with you guys today. Great to see you. Just fabulous. Um, Today, we're going to talk about getting that luxury listing. Okay. And um, it's kind of a broad topic. So we're going to stay broad, then we're going to get really deep. Okay. Sounds good. So when I say that to you, and again, we're, you know, in your coaching practice and the business that you run and when you were an agent, how did you really kind of break through and get up to that next higher price point and, and start getting those listings? And, you know, it's actually such a great topic because I want to say that probably 80% of the people that come to us for coaching, they say, I want to break through to the next price point Mm -hmm. and I don't know how to do it. Now that might mean just bumping up a couple hundred thousand, or it could actually mean, you know, penetrating that into that luxury market. But that is a very common request because if you think about it, it just makes sense. I can make more money and and have more profit and basically do you know the same amount of transactions is is a little bit of the thinking. So when we're talking about this, one of the things that I always look at with them is let's just outline all the different opportunities and then we'll choose what's right for you and your market, right? Because their personalities are different. Um, some of them are newer to the business. Some have big databases. Some are more social. Some are less social. So there's not a one size fits all. But if we just put out on the table today, maybe a menu of yeah. what are some of the different things. And if they just choose even one and say, that could be my first step into that expired market. Right. And, and that's, or, excuse me, that luxury right. market. And the reason I said expired is we were just talking about that before mm-hmm. we got on. Mm-hmm. That's a really common way. A lot of top luxury agents broke into the market. And, and I'll give you a perfect example. You know, we talk about him often because he's such a great client. He's been a client for eight years and, you know, he's been wall street journal, number one team and Sean Stanfield here in Huntington beach. And when Sean got into the real estate business, 30 plus years ago, he knew that he really wanted to dominate a market called Huntington Harbor. But like many high-end markets, it was very saturated with the old players, right? That had been there forever. And being a newer agent, he didn't really have the money to try to combat them by dumping a bunch of marketing dollars into that area, trying to win that way. So we thought, what's another way, you know, that I can go about this. And there were a lot of expired listings at that time because the market was beginning to shift. And we are seeing that in some of the luxury markets where the sellers are not realistic. 
That's why there's the old saying, better off to be the firstborn, the second wife, and the second or third agent on a high-end expired. <laughs> That's great. So he started getting in front of those people. And he was enthusiastic. He was positive and aggressive. And he didn't take them if they weren't realistic about the price. So then he started selling them. And then he became known as the guy that got, got it done. Now, as he started to make some profit, now he started to, to feel that, that um, momentum by starting to market there and then ultimately claiming that as a farm. And then he really used that as the launching pad to spread across the south end of Huntington Beach and just keep expanding that reach. But it all really started from those expired listings. That's great. That's a great story. Uh, you know, the thing that comes to mind when you talk about Huntington Beach, right, for me is, okay, now let's let's take that theory into the non-coastal markets, okay, right. where my, you know, how, how I air quoted is luxury is coming to your neighborhood soon, okay? Mm-hmm. So the price points in places like where, where the Institute is headquartered in Dallas, Texas, they're just growing by leaps and bounds every year in a neighborhood that maybe wasn't considered anything close to luxury is today luxury. And so right. how in that situation where you have a successful agent who's worked, you know, neighborhoods for quite some time, and now suddenly the buyers and the buyers are coming in with these higher price points and the mm-hmm. buyers are so different than the people who are selling. Yeah. I, I always think of market expert, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, what do, what do higher end buyers and sellers look for? And I actually, there's a top broker in Orange County. You may know him, Cameron Mirage. He owns mm-hmm. first team real estate. And he had me years ago do a, a whole series of focus groups with buyers or sellers in the higher end and ask, you know, what is it that really causes you to gravitate to an agent? And their answer in in different words, but all came down to the same message. They are a market expert. So uh, a buyer wants to know, you know, for example, if they, you know, come to Dallas and they say, well, we're really active. We want to be near, you know, hiking and outdoor activities but we also like fine dining and we don't want to have to drive 30 minutes to get to a restaurant. And I don't really want a track style house. I want a community that's more interesting and Mm -hmm. established and, and a great agent that knows their market would be able, it's just like a computer searching, searching, searching. I know exactly where to take you. Right. Right. And, and being able to get them to where they want to be. So I think buyers are very picky today. They're less patient. They're more demanding in terms of even though they don't pay the commission of the agent in most cases, they definitely want someone that can help them find those pockets that might be right for them. So, But then on the other hand, with sellers, it's that same market expertise, helping them decide where to price and how to target the ideal buyer and who their competition is. But I find that most agents spend very little time studying the market. Yes, that's interesting. Um, how, how do you kind of change that mindset for them? I mean, you know, some of it is just, they just get busy. Right. So simple things like 
most markets, especially in the luxury, will have a tour day, a broker tour day, because it's too hard to get in to mm-hmm. these properties. And our top luxury agents, they are fanatics about attending those tours. And they carry their little booklet and they ask questions of the listing agent and they gather knowledge if they don't know that area or they don't know that architect. I mean, they're just taking notes, gathering, whether they have a buyer or not, they're just absorbing what's out there, you know, in the industry. Also, looking at things like for your members, you have incredible reports Mm -hmm. that you provide for them both locally and nationally. They should be studying those and using those as talking points. You know, they should know the days on market in their MLS. They should know the absorption rate. So just really maybe time blocking the tour and maybe another hour a week to study and educate themselves on their market. That's great advice for sure. And so as we, you know, kind of promised in, in this idea of breaking through to that next level of, of pricing, you talked a bit about expireds and, you know, why that's a good place to start. Um, for those folks that might be listening that really don't have any experience with that, can you walk through the process? Yeah, and it's a little different in every market, okay. right? How they, how how many there are, how few there are. There's always more in the high end, though. Mm-hmm. And and the reason for that is because sellers in the high end, of course, their property is special and unique. Sometimes it's hard to, quote, comp out because it is a unique location. So, I, I mean, I'm thinking of one, and agent gave me an example that they just listed, Lake Coeur d'Alene, and they listed it for, I think, 1.4 mm-hmm. and sold it for 1.3. But when that seller started originally, they started at 3.4. Oh, my. Then they dropped it to 2.5. And then they dropped it to 1.8. So this was a series of three different agents before this fourth agent got it at a time that the seller was realistic. So high end, there will be more. And agents are intimidated by about working them. But if you're informing yourself on the market, you'll be more confident. And I tell our clients, don't prejudge. So so don't look at that property and say, that's ridiculous. Who knows? Maybe the agent told them that was fine. Maybe they just weren't as motivated at that point. Just go ahead and connect with them. So they can buy, you know, access. There's Vulcan 7, there's Red X, there's Land Voice. There are companies where they can get this expired info. And sometimes the phone numbers are good and sometimes they're not. And sometimes the people answer the phone and sometimes they don't. Right. <laughs> um, but if you can get phone numbers, when I called expireds, which was one of my big things, I always did it first thing in the morning. I, I actually did it at 730 and I know people are going to say, that's too early. I did it, you know, and I didn't get very many complaints about that. But you got to find your own plan. You know, when am I going to call them? People will say to me, well, should I call them when they first expire or should I wait a couple of weeks until the fury dies down? I say yes and yes, right? Mm. Why not do them both? Mm. And what many clients do, in fact, uh, Don and I, we, we're kind of addicted again to watching that whole Sopranos series. There you again. go. Yeah, been <laughs> years. And they're in that beautiful area in New Jersey. And I actually had a client that worked there for years. And their expired process was rather simple. 
pulled them up on their MLS at home while they were having their coffee in the morning, took their expired packages on their way to work, knocked on the doors because it was right in their little market. And if the people were not at home, they left the package, but then they would stop by again at lunch. They would stop by again at the end of the day, still didn't reach them. They'd stop by on Saturday. They'd stop by on Sunday afternoon. So they made five attempts. And again, they're not traveling all across town. It was in a, in a square of about two or 3000 houses. So it was rather easy to do. And they would typically take one to three a month, but their price point even then was well over a million dollars. Right. And that's easy. Sure. So, um, of course, you know me, I'm going to kind of drill down on that a little bit. Let's talk about this expired package. Mm -hmm. What do you recommend goes in that? I mean, what, what you're talking about sounds really fantastic, right? Because someone is in a state of mind where they want to sell their home. Right. And now what, what is going to resonate with them in this expired package? Yeah, that's interesting because it depends. Like if you're here in Newport Beach, you might get 50 packages delivered to your door today if you expired, right? If you're in Oklahoma, you might not get any. Mm -hmm. So it just depends a little bit on how competitive the market is. They're all a bit different. But if you think about it from the standpoint of what what does the prospect want? Because we don't usually approach it that way. We approach it as what do we want to tell them? Mm-hmm. And, and if you think about walking a mile in their shoes, how come no one loved my house? I feel so rejected. What's wrong with it? How am I going to fix this? Should I try this again? And that's why for our coaching clients, we actually put together a booklet, an educational resource why your home didn't sell and what can be done about it. And in that educational resource, it doesn't pitch the agent. Instead, it talks about, you know, how often it's a function of marketing or targeting the wrong buyers or timing in the market. And it does address price, but while it can be price, it's not only price. So it's like a helpful booklet that's not a pitch piece. Now, if they want to make their own, my advice would be if you're writing a booklet like that, you got to be careful because your tendency is going to want to be, well, I want to put my awards in there and I want to put my, tr-, and, and, and how I know, just educate and inform them. And then the cover letter could be your track record, the success you've had in the past and how even if they're not ready to list, you'd like to see them to maybe keep it in a quiet sale inventory. Or, you know, if I find a buyer and I call you, we just want to get in the door. That's the main thing. We want to get in the door and get into that conversation. And so in this, it sounds like what you're really recommending is that the package is customized. That you do some research, you look at the house. No, not, not, not in the cover letter. Be- That'd be great Mm -hmm. if you could, Mm -hmm. if you only had a few, right? right? Or if you had certain things you really wanted to target, but more about having something that is a go-to that you could deliver to them that they'd be interested in reading. Right. Right. And then a cover letter, which is really track record and credentials. Okay. Now people might be saying, but what if I don't have track record or credentials in that market? Lean on the track record of your company. 
Oh, that's great. The company's ranking and and nothing is going to be magical as much as your conversation with the people live. Got getting it. into that door if you can. That's excellent. And getting and just trying, right? I right. mean, just don't talk about it, do it. Um mm-hmm. so so 50 in Huntington Beach or where you said Newport Beach or the, the, the people can have 50. Wow. Right. But very few agents will actually knock on that door and try to talk to the person. They'll mail it. They'll FedEx it. They'll Mm -hmm. have a courier drop it off. And yet the agents will actually knock on the door. And then just like Margie, go back in the evening, go back on a Saturday, go back on a Sunday. No, they're not not leaving a new package every time. Right. They're just going back until they catch those people and, and talk to them eye to eye. Yeah. And you know, that the idea of getting in front of them really does give you the opportunity as the agent to prove, right? The proof point, the demonstrable market, you know, expertise. Isn't that what you're after? Well, and I know what people are saying is, well, you know, what do I say? What do I do when I get there? When I started selling real estate, my broker said, you have to do expired. I didn't know what I was doing. So (laughs) I would just call them up and say, can I come and look at your house? And they would say, well, it's off the market. Oh, well, can I still look at it? Well, why do you have a buyer? I don't know because I haven't seen it, but I'll look at it. If I do, I'll tell you if I don't. Well, maybe I could find one. I'm going to be in the neighborhood anyhow. Well, we're not listing right now. All right. If I ever came across a buyer, though, do you think you still want to sell? Well, yeah but we're just not listing. Okay. Why don't you show it to me then? That way, if I think I have someone, I won't be wasting your time. Okay, fine. And they'd let me in and I'd look at it and I'd go, you know, it's a really good house. I, I don't have a buyer right now for you because I'm not going to lie about it to them. Right. I, I don't have a buyer right now for you, but I'll tell you what, I can get this thing sold. Are you, you guys willing to sit down and talk to me? Let's talk about it. And that was the fancy script I used. <laughs> and one month I remember listing like 10 expires, you know, um, but it really wasn't anything more than energy, enthusiasm, getting in the door and talking to them, right. And getting past that resistance. Wow. That's a great story. And, you know, seems like something people can do. Um, in, in your experience, so let's kind of go back to the very beginning of this idea of why listings expire. Right. Mm-hmm. And does that does that have any sort of meaning around the price most often or is it the house? I mean, what's your experience on that? Um, if we talk about luxury, mm-hmm. it typically could be how it's staged or not staged. Okay. Right. And staging, of course, is like super prominent in certain parts of the country, just now catching on in others little bit tricky, though, about how much money do I tell them to spend? Mm-hmm. You know, do I tell them to remodel the kitchen, remodel the bathrooms, you know, gut the gut the house? And, and usually, no. You know, most of the top luxury agents agree that that's very dangerous because they may not get a good return. So if nothing else, at least just, you know, sprucing it up, lightening it up, moving some things out. So sometimes it's poorly shown mm-hmm. that often it's not 
it's not marketed well. You know, you see some where they're marketed in the wrong area in the MLS or the photos are horrible or they have too many photos. There's no reason for anyone to even go. The other thing is often accessibility. Some of the sellers in the luxury properties make it really difficult to show the property. And if it's difficult to get an agent in, they're going to move on. You know, I remember when Donna and I were shopping for a house last year in Newport, it was so frustrating because we would be calling on Wednesday or Thursday saying we'd like to look at the houses on Sunday. And of course, Don is an active agent, so he's calling the agents. And they're like, oh, well, that's not good for our seller. No, can you come at this time? Well, no, because we're going to be out. And, yeah, that won't work. Why don't you come next week? Well, I, and I remember very specifically, we said to one agent, you know, we sincerely are interested in buying this one. But if we cannot see it, we cannot buy it. So if you don't get us in today, we will go buy something else. And couldn't get us in. And we bought something else. So agents sometimes need to crack the whip with their sellers and say, if you make it difficult, I can't sell your house. So in the expireds, let's kind of walk through this. If, if an agent chooses to go that route, mm -hmm. these things that you just said in the last couple of minutes are, are really great questions, right? Mm -hmm. Sitting in that consultation. And so if that's the case, how, how do you, how, how would you guide or, or coach one of the folks that you have in having that conversation to, to unearth, are these folks difficult, you know, and unearth right. the, the real reason why a home didn't sell? Well, I would always start with their motivation and their timeline, you know, in the luxury, there's a little saying, sometimes the agents will say, time over motivation. So I might have to take it a little higher because they're not quite as motivated as they will be in three or six months. Mm. So you're measuring their motivation. Then I look at the desirability of the property. Is there something just really wrong with it? Mm -hmm. Is there a really terrible location or a horrible floor plan? You know, things that are not, not repairable. So how desirable is this property? Then I look at the seller themselves. Are they crazy? <laughs> you know, right. or are they realistic and, and cooperative? And over time I can work them into reality. So first I want to measure how, how good of a business decision is this going to be for me to get involved with these people? Because it may take a significant amount of time and money invested. So if I feel good about that, then it really is a little bit like a doctor diagnosing. You know, you're going to look at where it was listed, what kind of showings and offers it had. What's very interesting is often they'll get two or three offers within the same price point, but it's not the price point they want. But it's not coincidental that the buyers keep gravitating to that price. That's probably what it's worth. So what were the offers they had? And then even asking questions about how, how often can we show the home? Let's talk about accessibility. And if you start getting a lot of pushback on that, you, you have to have that. Like if you said to me, well, Debbie, 
you know, you can only show it on Tuesday nights between four and six and, and one Saturday a month, I'd say, well, then Diana's not going to sell. Right. It's just not going to sell because as much as I know it's a fabulous house, agents are going to be too lazy to work around your schedule or buyers won't conform and they will buy something else. We have to have a better plan. So you just start picking through what could have gone wrong and, and having that honest and yet positive because if you come across to that seller like the angel of death, it's too high, it's too ugly, you're not showing it enough, they're going to kick you to the curb. Right. 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 So it's a little bit of a dance. Well, what I hear approach. you, what I hear you being is, is firm. Okay. Direct. So, yeah. yeah. So, so one of the, you know, kind of as promised, what we're talking about is, is this idea of getting through to that next price point And that price point is now luxury. One of the questions I always get, and here in our class, is there's an intimidation and a fear around mm-hmm. taking that higher priced home because they, there's, you know, how do you price it? Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you can kind of walk through pricing strategies, because it's the uh, the thing I think I hear the most is, well, I, I took my first luxury listing and then it expired. Right. And, you know, there's, there's probably one, maybe two reasons why that occurred. And, and it was maybe a lack of experience in understanding how to properly guide the price. Can you talk about that? Yeah. In fact, um, and it is difficult because there'll be in the luxury market. Sometimes there is obviously no cookie cutter properties mm-hmm. to compare to. Mm-hmm. So you have to come at it a lot of different ways. Usually one is remembering if you're out there previewing property in your market every single week and you're studying your market, you just have a gut feeling like, cause you, you know, what's out there and what's available. So you have to know the inventory. And then the second thing would be, I like to get in the mind of the buyer. So let's say um, that, you know, I'm going to sell your house in, in Dallas. Right. Mm -hmm. And I say, okay, so your house is very unique. Your area is unique, but let's think about the buyer that would buy your house. What else would they consider? Mm. Right. And see, I don't know your neighborhoods Mm -hmm. as well as I do mine. So I'll give you an example. Mm -hmm. You know, if you were going to come, and land at the John Wayne airport and say, I want to live on the beach in orange County, you know, my neighborhood, you've been to my house, Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. East bluff and Newport beach, but a buyer probably won't say, I just want to be in East bluff. They might say, well, I would look at hunt seal beach, Huntington beach, Newport beach, Laguna beach. So I would say, so in our price category where our buyer might shop, what are we up against? Right. Right. Because then that can kind of let you see where will we be in the, the lineup. Then, you know, obviously we look at whatever data we can in some markets. Cost per square foot is relevant. Other markets, maybe not as much. So, you, you know, you look at that. If you need to, you could even suggest hiring an independent appraiser. Mm-hmm. You know, once we list the property, we'll have an appraisal done. Take it with a grain of salt, but it'll give us if we like the appraisal, we can showcase it out there that we have a an appraisal at X amount. And also in the luxury market, what's often done 
is they'll bring from their own office or their own market a group of top agents that they trust and say, what's your opinion? And they'll get like a broker price opinion before it actually starts racking up days on market. Mm-hmm. Then, then an agreement with that seller, you know, once we get this out there, what amount of time are we going to give this before we accept the fact that the market is not responding? Right. And, and when we'll make that first adjustment. And it, is that really only very market specific or is there a time period that you suggest looking hard and making that first adjustment? In, in the bread and butter price ranges, mm-hmm. you shouldn't give them more than three weeks. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yep. two to three weeks, you're going to know. And bread and butter is right the middle of the market. The, right. Because yep. they're, they're selling pretty well. And mm-hmm. if it ain't selling, it's got a problem. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but in the luxury, it depends on how expensive it is. So it could be 30 days, it could be 60 in a resort market, like in, in Cabo where I was recently, where it takes two or three years sometimes to sell a property, you might give it 90 days. But you'd want to define for that property in that market, we don't want to go too long. Because that's another reason that agents lose these is they're not communicating frequently enough with the seller. They're not setting proper expectations And they're not pressing the seller to adjust the price. So it just kind of stagnates Mm -hmm. and then they feel embarrassed to call the seller. Then the seller gets mad because they're not talking to them and it just spins into a cycle where it goes nowhere. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So in this idea of, okay, I've decided I, I want to really go for it. Luxury is, is a price point, right? It's a threshold. We call it, you know, we call it the luxury threshold in any community. And I just decided that I want to go for it. I, I really feel like I've got all these things in line that you're talking about. I've looked at expireds. I think there's a couple that I want to go after. What else do you think I should do? To find other, other luxury opportunities. Mm Mm-hmm. A lot of the luxury opportunities are going to come from social connections. Okay. So if you think about where, where does my ideal luxury client hang out? Where can I meet them? And people might start really overcomplicating this. It actually could be fairly simple. I'll give you an example. A great um, agent that I coached for many years, Newport Coast, um, there's all these fabulous, beautiful houses, very expensive, gated, multi-million. Right at the base of Newport Coast, there's a shopping area and there's a Starbucks. And this particular agent had a routine every morning, seven to nine o'clock, he'd be at the Starbucks sitting right by where the people picked up coffee in his branded shirt, working on his computer, not on his phone because he's there to talk to people. So he had his career apparel on sitting there. Now he farmed and marketed to that area. So they'd recognize his face or people would just chat while they're standing there waiting for their coffee to be done. Oh, how's the real estate market? That was his way to prospect because everybody flowed through that Starbucks. Um, There's another in Corona Del Mar, Bandera, a, a great restaurant there. And they're all the neighborhood in Corona Del Mar often ends up there for happy hour. So I know another lady who goes there twice a week, gets a glass of wine, has a book, usually that's like real estate or something related, 
and she's sitting there reading her book and people go, oh, how's the book? What's that about? You know, are you in real estate? And it could be a charity. It could be the, um, the arts. It could be being on the, you know, museum members committee, mm-hmm. whatever. I like to say what interests you that would be fun for you, easy for you, and your ideal client would be there. So I love the idea that this gentleman sits in his branded shirt, um, mm-hmm. which, you know, we teach and you, you coach to not necessarily lead with what you do, but in that environment right there, it's just perfect. Yeah. People just ask him, yeah. they just come to him and talk to him. Yeah. And, and people will say, Oh, that's so tacky. I can't wear a branded shirt or I can't wear a name tag. Why not? Right. It made you a lot of money. So I'll tell you a quick, funny story. I actually had a client and she works the waterfront area of Seattle and we made a deal. So she sells the high end that I forget why this came up. She would wear her name tag for a full week every day. (laughs) She's very fashion forward and that really offended her. So we made a deal. So she went to this uh, ladies luncheon and she had her name tag on. It was a luncheon that she would go to once a month. And she said, oh, my gosh, it just killed me because people were coming up saying, how are you prospecting us today with your name tag on? But then she said a lady came up and said, you know, I didn't know you were in real estate and there's a house in our neighborhood. I think we want to buy it. Could you show it to us tonight? Wow. And she sold them one for one point five, listed theirs for seven fifty and double ended it. And she said, Debbie. I decided I'm such a fan of name tags. She said, in fact, if I didn't sleep naked, I'd wear it to bed. I'm like, too much information. That's right now, I'm right. Now. Um, but, but yeah, you know, people will say, oh, I can't door knock in luxury. We have tons of clients who do. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can't wear career apparel. Well, Sean Stanfield's entire team wears their Sotheby's nice blue nylon polos. Right. Oh, I can't work in open house. Casey Lesher and Corona Del Mar. Shows up there every Saturday morning with his farmer's market bags, hand him, hands them out to the neighbors. Um, it, it, it's it's all just all the same. Right. You know? Right. They're just people. They're right. just people. Great. Wow. That that was a lot of great advice. Um, I, I, I really appreciate talking to you today. I think uh, when, you know, when folks listen to this, that this is just full of ways that are confidence, you know, to inspire them to go and try this. So thanks, Debbie. As always, we really appreciate your time and, and your energy is fabulous always. And, and thanks again. Oh, you got it. All right. Talk to you all soon. Take Bye-bye. care. Bye. Bye. This content is brought to you in part by Supreme Auctions, the only luxury auction company recommended by the Institute. Supreme Auctions is widely recognized as the first auction company to design a program to work alongside and in partnership with luxury real estate professionals and their clients. Go to supremeauctions.com to learn more. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of A State of Mind, The Art of Selling Luxury Real Estate. If you're interested in learning more about the Institute, you can find more at luxuryhomemarketing.com. If you like what you just heard, Please share with a friend and don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Thanks for listening.